Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 40 of Artificially Intelligent Marketing. It's Paul Avery here, and I'm joined, as always, by Martin Broadhurst, the fantabulous AI guru. Martin, how are you, pal? Overwhelmed with new AI tools to play with. You have been having a tinker this week, and don't worry, dear listener, we're going to get into that tinkering in some detail as we go through the stories today. Um, why don't we just get straight into it, Martin? There's no messing about. I wanted to talk Derby County briefly because um, apparently there's a team in Spain that's about to have the worst um, league finish ever, or at least they're on course for it. When, of course, your team, Derby County, currently hold that record, so you must be pretty chuffed. Uh, currently the worst team in history with 11 points from an entire season, one victory. It was bleak that year. I remember it well. So the idea that somebody's going to take that record from us is welcome because we've had that since 2008. And to be honest, I didn't think it would ever be beaten. I think there's still time for them to turn it around. But um, but I got my fingers crossed for you. Anyway, that's a digression. Let's get into the AI. So um, we've been on the air for a couple of weeks. Some interesting stuff has happened. Probably the most exciting was the release of Gemini Ultra from our good friends over at Google. If you are a casual listener to the podcast or a casual a casual person paying attention to AI, you could be forgiven for trying to figure out what are all the different names of all the things that keep changing their name. So this was called Bard. It's now called Gemini. Ultra is like Google's awesome, most powerful model that's supposedly on the level of GPT-4. And you can access it as a chatbot, but also it's going to be in start baked into Google's products like Gmail and Docs as part of what was called Google Duet and may still be called Google Duet, at least for the next 15 minutes or so, who knows. Um, but for the purposes of this conversation, Google have released their new most powerful version of ChatGPT, GPT-4. This is the closest that we've got to a GPT-4 rival, and that's why it's interesting and exciting. A, because now we've got another GPT-4 level tool we can play with. And B, because as we've talked about on the podcast before, different providers innovating in different ways with their tools stimulates each other to keep finding new routes forward to give us even better tools. So GPT 4.5 or 5 can now be uh, much closer potentially because of this stimulation that um, Gemini Ultra is going to bring to the market. But um, yes, it's available. We've been playing with it. I know, Martin, you got straight in, got yourself a paid subscription. We should all say many thanks to Martin. He buys a lot of subscriptions to play with all these tools um, so that he can tell us if they're any good or not. Tell us, Martin, is Gemini Ultra any good? In short, yes. The slightly longer answer requires a slightly different question, I feel. Uh, is it Ooh. as good as as GPT-4? And I think we'll, we'll get there is, is what I'll say. First and foremost, it is a very good model, and it does feel very different from Gemini Pro. For anyone that isn't aware of the pricing model of this, it's $18.99 British pounds per month, and it comes as part of an upgraded Google One plan. If you're somebody who's been using Google One to get the increased storage space on Gmail and Google Photos and all of that kind of thing, this is an upgrade where you can actually get 
two terabytes of storage as well as access to Gemini Advanced and Ultra. But that's about as much as the extra perks go. So it's cheaper than ChatGPT with GPT-4. And you get these additional bonuses of the increased cloud storage and what have you. Compared to Gemini Pro, it's an, an immediate step up. You just feel that. I think when Gemini Pro was launched pre-Christmas, we all tried it and said, yeah, this feels like a GPT 3.5 capable model. But and it's free, right? So Gemini Pro was free. If you had a Google account, you could go play with it. Even Google Workspace, I think you could go play with it. So to have a, a free model that was at GPT 3.5 or maybe even just above for some stuff uh, was nice. But yes, compared to a paid model, we're expecting a leap, I would say. Yeah, and this this definitely is a leap. One word of note is that it's only available on personal workspace accounts or Google One accounts. It's not available through business accounts, which is slightly frustrating. And at the moment, that means that any input is not private, right? So in the same way that with a Google Plus account, oh, sorry, a not Google Plus. Google Plus, that's going back a few years. Uh, bring it back. AI-driven Google Plus, bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, the ChatGPT accounts where you have to be careful what, what you're putting in because the data could be uh, viewed or going into the, the training model. This is the case with uh, Gemini Ultra as it stands. In fact, there is a warning that says prompts and inputs can be reviewed by human reviewers. So don't say anything that you wouldn't want another human being to read. Crumbs. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the interface, it's very similar to what we're familiar with. On the left-hand side, you've got your history of your chat and the main central column is where you have your, your conversations. Now, the inputs are text-based and you can also input images there is a microphone button that when i clicked it i was fully expecting it to record audio and upload that as an audio input prompt because when they announced gemini ultra this is a multimodal capability and they said that one of the modalities that you get with it is the idea that you can input audio and it will be able to work with audio input Unfortunately, if you hit record, all it does is transcribe the text. So it's the same as the ChatGPT um, microphone button. It, it takes a spoken word, turns it into text and inputs it as text. That was slightly disappointing. Um, okay, so quality of the outputs. I spent a good few hours playing with it, tried it with creative responses, but also tried to use it as a programmer and, and a kind of coding assistant and came up with a project and wanted to jump into it and see how far I got. And overall, the responses are very good. It feels like GPT-4 at that level. And if GPT-4 didn't exist, I would say this was the best on the market by a margin. However, GPT-4 does exist and this doesn't quite get there. So a few things that kind of 
let it down. When coding, I found that the quality of the code that it was giving me did result in more errors than I was getting from ChatGPT when I did the same project previously. And the way to fix the errors um, or its ability to fix its own errors wasn't as good, wasn't close to being as good. I got to a certain point with this one particular project where I asked it to fix this code again and again and again, couldn't get, couldn't, couldn't progress. So I took all of the code it had given me, put it into chat GPT with GPT-4 and said, fix this code. It fixed it. And then I brought it back into Gemini Ultra and carried on the project from there. I love so it. That's... Gemini, Gemini Ultra is chat GPT's intern. I don't think that was Google's in- yeah. intention. <laughs> and that's kind of indicative of, of the experience with it. There's just things where it's it's not it's not quite as good. It's it's very 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 good. This is not a slight on it as such. I think Google have done a tremendous job. But it's still not quite as good as GPT-4. And that's mm. the the reality of it. In fairness, when the, all the launch videos came out, although given that some of them have been debunked, how much we can pour credence in them, but the they did mention having a specific model for coding, and that wasn't clear to me at the time whether it was going to be baked into Gemini Ultra. And in the launch blog, um, Sundar Pichai does speak about that there are other models being trained and other product releases coming so i wonder if there'll be like a dedicated coding assistant that's maybe better than gemini ultra but given the fact that it's supposed to be multimodal from the ground up unlike chat gpt it's surprising that chat gpt would therefore be better at coding than a multimodal from the ground up model but i guess code images video text you know maybe code is a bit of a unique thing on its own and we'll have to wait and see what this other model is if indeed it turns out to exist in the way that it sounds like it did there are other quirks with it as well so i had a audio recording it was it was just a voice memo that i'd saved and i put it into gemini and asked it to turn that into a blog outline and i thought i'll use that blog outline to create a blog and it was just from a 10 minute rambling about Zapier and ChatGPT. And it failed catastrophically because it said, I'm sorry, I can't generate images at this moment. And it didn't make any sense to me, right? Because it, I wasn't asking it nowhere in this text. In fact, I put in a solid block of text, 10 minutes worth of spoken word. At the end of the prompt, I, I said, use this spoken word transcription to write a blog outline detailing this, 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 and this. And repeatedly, it said it cannot generate images at this moment in time. And it apologized. And it, if you ever used Bard, you'll see that it came up with a little drop down to show you alternative drafts that it also created. Every one of them said the same thing. So somewhere, and I've, I re-ran this in a new chat. And I... The, <laughs> There was one tiny section in this transcript where I mentioned using Dali as part of a Zapier workflow to generate an image. But that is like one line in the middle of this big chunk where at the end of the prompt, I'm very explicit giving it the instruction that I want it to do. And repeatedly it says, I can't do that at the moment. 
And I, I just had this a couple of times where it was saying things that it couldn't do or it would tell me things that that weren't quite right. So, yeah, that was that was frustrating. That aside, there's a lot to like about it. It's super quick. I feel compared to GPT-4, it generates responses quicker. Admittedly, we have GPT-4 Turbo, which is, you know, pretty quick now. This does still feel quicker. Yeah, but would you not say, I, I don't feel like the speed of output of GPT-4 is like a major limiting thing where I'm like, I'm not going to work with it. It takes, you know, half a second, a second longer to produce an output. I think it is a little bit annoying. And I I do like the idea at some point of just like getting an instant output. But at the moment, it outputs at about the right speed that I can read at. <laughs> so it works quite well for me. But um, yeah, I, so I appreciate the speed as being a little bit of a benefit, but I definitely take quality out of output over a slight improvement of speed, I think. In terms of creative writing or editing content for like blogs and things like that, I like it actually. It's it it has less of those I think of it as the well, with, with Chat GPT, if you ask it to write a blog, it just seems to say we're going to delve, we're going to dive, we're going to it's, so it uses there's these phrases that are just see them so much more with chat gpt than i see them in real life or that certainly more than i would ever write them and i think there's been a proliferation of them across the web this doesn't do that as much and it gives nice reasons for why it's phrased something in a particular way if you ask it to kind of explain why did you describe it in that way so i do think the the content writing is pretty good i thought the marketing content that i got from it when i was testing it with email campaigns and subject lines and things like that all very good. Um, I asked it about how to approach um, a particular project, gave it an outline of what I wanted to achieve and the steps involved. And it did a really good job with giving the step-by-steps um, as good or, or even better maybe than uh, the chat GPT. So mm. I, I thought that was worth noting. It's context windows 32K, which is the same as GPT-4 and ChatGPT, so that's no real difference there. It can't do image generation at the moment, as it told me repeatedly, even though I didn't <laughs> ask it to create an image. I think that will, I would imagine that that will be coming down the line fairly soon. Google has been uh, making some noise in the image generation arena over the past few weeks with some new models that it's created, so that's definitely something that I think that might be being rolled out. I remember seeing a few posts online about um, Google's image generation capabilities starting to make it into these models and that the images were good, photorealistic, probably better than Dolly 3, if I remember reading right. So I, I think that will come soon. It's interesting, your take on creative writing. So Ethan Mollock, who does a lot of work in this area, wrote a blog post about Gemini Ultra having, having had it for, for uh, about a month before the rest of us got it. And I think here's a takeaways were similar to yours right poorer coding probably on par with text generation for things like creative writing he did mention that it had a um, bit of a more friendly persona and a bit more inclined towards things like conversation and wordplay which i think is interesting yeah one of the things i noticed about it very quickly was its responses are, are super friendly actually and re almost like a mentor so th the way that it's there was a particular phrase that it is like, I'm really excited to get started on this project with you. 
when I when I gave it a brief and asked it to tell me step by step how it would approach it, it did that and at the end was really enthusiastic and said, I'm really excited to get started on this project with you. But then as I reached a certain point in the, it was the coding one, it was the the little uh, app development piece that I wanted it to do. I got frustrated and I said, this isn't working. I think this project's going to be a failure. And it responded with a piece of like coaching. And it was saying, I'm sorry you feel this way about the project. Um, let's break down some of the reasons why you think you might be having these feelings about the project and how we might be able to overcome it in the next steps. So it felt like a real personal dialogue and, and a bit of mentorship kind of geeing me up and telling me that all isn't lost. So I guess the million dollar question is, are you going to keep your subscription and run it at the same time as having ChatGPT um, teams or is GPT-4 does everything that Gemini can do and better. So actually, if you had to choose, you'd just choose GPT-4. Like, where do you sit at the moment based on what you've been playing with? If this wasn't my job um, and I was only going to pick one model, I would pick GPT-4 and ChatGPT above all others at the moment. However, there is some caveats to that. And that's if you're someone who is personally in the Google ecosystem already, you've got Google Photos, you have got a Gmail account, you use Google Docs and Google Sheets to manage your kind of personal, you know, maybe you've got a Chromebook and you're kind of all in on the Google ecosystem. I think for £19 a month, including all of those add-ons that you get, I think I'd be tempted to go with that. Really? Because you, well, because you get access to, if GPT-4 is really what, if there's some reason that you really need GPT-4, you can access that via Bing chat. You don't get advanced data and um, advanced data analysis and code interpreter. So if you need those specific elements, get chat gpt you need that right that's that's a specific function and feature that you need but if you're just looking at the quality of the outputs and you're looking at it from a value for money lens i think gemini ultra for 90 so it's cheaper 19 pound a month plus all of the add-ons and if you think that you might already be paying i think i was paying seven pound a month for my google one account so effectively, it's an it's eleven pounds or ten pounds more, ten eleven pounds more per month. I think that's that's a good deal. Said like a man who loves a subscription. There, Mark. I, I, I don't disagree with you. I just like to tease <laughs> you about all your subscriptions and your AppSumo addiction. The um, yeah, I I think I I'll, I'll be most tempted to play with it when it comes to workspace. We run on Google Apps at Biostrata in terms of that's what we use for email. Um, and so the ability to summarize email threads, maybe suggest replies, I think that's going to be interesting and potential time saver. If you run on Microsoft, you're going to use Copilot, probably going to get similar quality outputs by the sounds of things. So it might just depend on what ecosystem you're on. It makes me feel better to know that Ultra is getting up there with GPT-4 because having been on Google Apps this whole time, there was a bit of a concern that if Google is slow to the party, do we have to migrate to Microsoft just to get access to all these tools? Um Paul, Paul Reutzer was on 
the LinkedIn's doing a, a breakdown of the value of these tools versus the, the time that they save you. And, you know, you look at the time they save you, I would argue that there's also value in the effort of switching platform if you need to, if the other platforms are not good enough. So that was definitely on my mind. I think it's important for the listeners to recognize a lot of the things that plague other models plague this model. So things like hallucination are still an issue when you're using Gemini Ultra. One thing I do like about the interface, though, is when it gives you an output, there's like a little button that you can click. I think it's like a G for Google and it will actually go Google parts of its own answer to figure out if it can find information that either backs up or goes against what it's just told you. So it's like a it's like hallucination checking light um, for some of the outputs I get. I get there's maybe a thousand words and 150 of them are highlighted in the green that says, hey, this we can corroborate this with things we found online. So I don't know what that means for the other 850 words. Right. Is it made up? Don't know. <laughs> so it doesn't always work that well. But I've also had outputs where 70 percent of it was I think it's green. It might be yellow. The color that says A is OK. I found some of this stuff on the Web um, and occasional red, which means this actually goes against what I found on the Web. And I found that button to actually be quite helpful ultimately that's not better for me than perplexity now you've got that me on to that so i just using perplexity anyway so it's more of an oddity for me i just like oh that's interesting an ai that checks its own work that's what we need it does have another interesting little ui element as well which is i've only seen this on the mobile version though not sure why it's, i haven't managed to find it elsewhere but um you can click on a button and it will ask you can get it to rewrite the response that it's given you so make it more formal make it longer make it shorter uh, make it more professional and that's just right there in the interface rather than having to prompt it to say make that sound more professional yeah I, that's kind of similar to what you can get when you're using bing i think we're going to see that in gmail's ai add-on and outlook's yeah. ai add-on like i think that's going to be but when i use those tools i don't know about you but it doesn't half love the um the edge of the continuum it's like play make this more chatty yo what up dudes i've been just chilling it's like oh crumbs i didn't mean that chatty just like a little bit less stoic prison guard barking that you had previously just maybe soften it up a bit so those buttons have seemed to be a brilliant way of like racing to the extreme without ever actually getting me what i was after in the first place so i actually think when these tools learn our styles, personal styles, and I'm sure they will, that's when it will really help. The be more witty, be more conversational buttons are mostly just a fun oddity for me at the moment. They don't actually give me anything usable. Um, well, thank you for taking us through Gemini Ultra. I think we've uh, we've given it 21 minutes or so. That's more than enough for Google to dominate the start of this podcast. Let's move on to our next story mine we've you've been looking at some uh recently published ai readiness index from cisco what what's this all about yeah they've published a report looking at how corporations around the world are preparing to integrate and deploy ai within and across their various operations and um there's some stats in there that won't surprise you um for instance 84% of companies believe that AI is going to significantly impact their business. Now, that's not a great surprise at all. Um, some of the areas and the recommendations from the report, uh, the areas of insight and the recommendations, should I say, are 
worth highlighting. So before we get into that, just a few of the key statistics. Uh, 97% of respondents have seen increased urgency to deploy AI technologies, which is not a massive surprise when every company that comes out on an earnings call, uh, when they mention AI, their stock seems to grow a few dollars and um, pumps the pumps the price a little bit. Only 14% feel fully prepared for AI integration, though. And uh, 76% of organizations say that they will require more GPU resources for AI workloads. So thinking about the actual infrastructure, uh, they're going to have to be investing. Good news for NVIDIA, I guess, there. 37% have identified skills gaps in understanding uh, AI tools and getting their workforce uh, AI proficiency raised across that is, is a big priority for them. And unsurprisingly, generative AI is a focus. 40% of companies are actively deploying or planning to deploy it. So all that's, they're the kind of headline figures, but what came out of the report in terms of takeaways for companies? Well, Cisco identified six pillars of the, the critical success factors, really, uh, for being AI ready. And they said it's strategy, infrastructure, data, governance, talent, and culture. So these components range from having a very clearly defined AI strategy and roadmap, uh, and then owning and having access to the necessary infrastructure to support those AI workloads, hence those CPUs, ensuring that you've got the right quality of data, because that's going to impact everything that you do with your workflows, particularly if you're in a you know, if you're in the healthcare industry or if you're in the finance sector, having the right data and the right quality of data so important and is a huge part of uh, any AI project, which is basically data preparation. And that's something that companies need to get get right. And then proper governance, who has responsibility for what, what are the boundaries, um, making sure that you've got the right technology stack, all of these things come into the mix. Finding the right talent is, which is increasingly proving difficult. There's so much demand for AI talent. And then fostering a culture receptive to AI driven change was, was the big one. And that requires the right leadership and the right messaging to communicate that through all of the teams. Surprisingly, the report suggests that AI could be more of an opportunity for workplace growth than a job replacement threat. With companies planning significant investments in upskilling their employees in AI technologies, rather than talking about replacing employees with AI technologies. So despite the um, moderate and high urgency to embrace AI, the willingness to adopt varies significantly depending on one's level within an organization. So what it found was that uh, people lower down organizations are a little bit more reluctant to embrace the change when the pace from senior management is, we need to be all AI, all go, 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 go. And I think that's reflected in a wider cultural piece outside of the organization individually but just at a kind of you know the macro corporate environment 
there was a really interesting interview with the editor-in-chief of The Economist, and she sat down at Davos with Sam Altman and Satya Nadella, and they had a conversation about AI, where it is, where it's going, and all of that. And what was very clear was that the, the theme of the year at Davos this year was AI, AI, AI. So clearly, corporate leaders are, are just swimming in this pool of AI hype, but then cascading that down into the business where you've got, you know, the the project managers that are trying to just get on with the day-to-day and deliver what they've got to do, whilst at the same time being told they've got to implement AI into their workflows. There's a there's a mismatch in um in appetite for for AI intervention. Yeah, it's a funny one. The when I reflect on this report and some of the conversations that we have on the podcast, I actually think there's going to be, not only is it not going to be one size fits all in terms of how different organizations and different sectors can leverage AI to improve productivity and efficiency, but just starkly, I'm thinking if you're an enterprise level company, the way you need to approach and think about AI as a as a differentiator and an accelerator for you is going to be very different from an SME. Um, and it's probably even going to be different from the mid-market. And the first thing, and I think there's pros and cons, right? Like if you're an enterprise level, you probably have lots of access to lots of data and you do need to think about format and cleanliness of that data to then drive the production of your own fine-tuned models or even your own models based on the data that you have. If you're an SME, you've probably got some data but it's probably so poorly structured as to make it maybe borderline useless i don't know i think if the ai learning tools get good enough to be able to just create insight from unstructured data we've talked previously about having a company record all their sales calls or all their customer service calls even if you're a company of 20 biz 20 people you could do that right um but that's unstructured data so as long as they can start to use that type of unstructured data to then train models on i think i think that's fine on the smaller side, the change management's easier because you've got fewer employees that so you have to think about how you're going to bring them together to, to adopt these tools. Um, training's probably easier than it is to roll this out across a 10,000-person organization with offices across the world and different cultures. And maybe some of the tools are really powerful in English, but maybe in local language, maybe they don't work as well and all the other problems that you're probably going to get. So you step back out of this for a second, you can see that how you're going to deploy AI in your organization is quite complicated depending on what type of business you are, what services and products you offer, structure of your team, size of your team, access to data. Um, we can keep mentioning these reports and I think they're helpful because they give us all a lens to look through. But you're probably better off really looking inside your own business against those different facets and thinking, what does this mean for me? Well, now seems like a relevant time to say, go and read my paper published in... October 2022, the month before ChatGPT was even launched, which was about how to deploy AI in your business uh, for any shape or size of organization. Because it touches exactly on that. It's about how much resource and how much data you've got in the organization, right? And if you're a small business with not a lot of resource and not a lot of data, there's guides in there for ways that you can practically use AI within your organization. There we go. Ali, I'll, I'll put them up. You slam them down. <laughs> cool. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing that, mine. Um, our next 
story this week is about Microsoft Copilot and the recent upgrades to some of the design features and AI image generation features. So basically been a bit of a improvement to Microsoft Copilot in terms of both its mobile and web versions, which makes it easier for you to work with images that you've generated using the chat interface. So it's kind of cool, but not as cool as I would like it to be. So what, <laughs> in summary, um, what you can do is when you're generating images powered by Dolly 3, you can now instantly move those into an editing environment where you can crop them, resize them. You can magic resize them so you can change the aspect ratio of them and the AI will fill in, you know, the gaps to make the that um, landscape image work as a portrait and what have you and all of that's pretty cool. You can do some interesting things like background blurring and some shifts in the style, which I think is interesting. But when I first read the story, I thought you're going to have more fine control over AI driven editing of things in the image, like, oh, replace that hat, that bowler hat with a cowboy hat. Um, and we're not quite there yet. I, I, I have confidence that in 12 months we'll be able to do that. But if those of you who saw this story out and about on the LinkedIn's, the Twitter's or the press and thought, oh, now it's now it's finally here. I can be a designer or I'm briefing a robot designer with text and it's doing cool things to images. Not quite there. So you can do some interesting things and it is a much streamlined workflow. But for those of you that thought it was going to be like having a digital designer that you would brief and make very subtle amends to images were not quite there yet. But I still think it's pretty cool um, and it's definitely worth checking out if you do this type of image generation. But yes, not magic. Thor's mine. They also announced some updates to Designer, which is a kind of, well, it's a graphic design tool, elements of Canva about it, lots of templates, drag and drop, very WYSIWYG, easy to use. You can export your generated images into Designer and use those as part of creating a social media post or something. That's all fine. The thing that I want to make people aware of is it's the first commercial application that I've seen that uses, or at least I think it uses, it certainly looks and feels and behaves like it, the segment anything model from Meta. Mm. So you can just click on any item and it will cut it out and it will select it. You can duplicate it. And it's got that same feel where you hover over an item and it will kind of lasso it or most of it. And then it, then it will actually get all of it. And it, it just, it feels exactly like that implementation of it. Um, so when we saw that model, I think, was it April time when I, that was open sourced, whether or not it is that model, I don't know, but it certainly feels like, and it behaves like that. So that's a nice little AI feature added into designer. Yeah. Adobe's got something like that in what was called Firefly, but all these things are now having their names changed as they just get baked into products. But a lot of the demo videos from two, three months ago had Adobe where you like click on a suitcase, automatic lasso the suitcase, delete the suitcase, and it fills in the background like it was never there. And I think we're just starting to see those emerge. Absolutely going to be driven by the type of segment anything models that you describe and the ability to contextually understand what's in the image and select it for you. Um, so I guess because of that capability, we're probably not that far away from speaking to the computer or a text-based prompt that says, 
select the suitcase and remove it. Right. Yeah, because that's just going to be an action, isn't it? It's a series of actions, which is yeah. click on the suitcase, select it, delete it, generative fill it. That will easily be done through a through an AI agent before long. Yeah, Apple released something recently as well that was similar. It was um, they were working with um, UC Santa Barbara researchers on new sort of imaging, like image editing AI um, that they've released as open source, which is interesting. Um, and it's kind of very similar in that you have the ability to interact with bits of an image in a conversational way to have it change the brightness and tweak colors and stuff like that. Um, I think what was interesting about this model is because of the way it's trained, its ability to influence just the things that you mention conversationally and leave the rest of the image alone, I think is a bit of a different uh, a differentiator for it. So it's kind of drifting towards what I hoped Copilot's, Copilot's news was. So if Segment Anything is anything to go by, we can expect to see this type of capability in a paid product within the next six to eight months. Um, but just further evidence that we're drifting towards that. As a marketer, it's interesting because the further democratization of tools to make it easier for non-technical specialists to make these types of edits is obviously increasing. You, you might write a written brief or call a designer and say, hey, love the brochure cover, but can we move this thing here? I want to change the color of this. Now, maybe you do that by speaking to the computer instead. But the one thing I always fall back on when I'm thinking about this is it doesn't teach the human user what good design looks like, right? So it's a bit of a rubbish in, rubbish out potentially in terms of it's great to be able to ask the computer and, and an AI to create an image and then edit specific parts of an image. But if you don't know about font use, balance, image composition, all these other things that talented designers are really good at, then probably you'll just have a more efficient workflow for creating crappy looking images. And then the other thing is the creative brainstorming that comes behind creative campaign concepting or brand concepting. Again, I do think you can use some of the tools to get you started on some interesting ideas, but we're, at least to me, it feels miles away from coming up with really polished creative campaign concepts. Like, yeah. So it's interesting and exciting. And I think, to be honest, we're probably going to see that these tools make professional designers more efficient. I'm not so sure that they're going to make it that much easier for non-designers to become designers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if you're still sticking word art on your posters and putting things out in Comic Sans, this isn't gonna this isn't gonna help too much. Love a bit of Comic Sans. It's just such a happy, <laughs> such a happy from. But maybe not for the professional branding arena. Um, right, let's move on from image generation. Let's turn to um, some more. AI regulation, Martin, you've been looking at what's been going on in the European Union. Yeah, just a kind of headline update, really. So we've been following this story as the EU's AI Act has been moving through the uh, parliamentary process. Well, there was an update uh, last week and the fight. So this is the pre-final text of the EU AI Act has been endorsed by all 27 EU member states. So the next steps are that the uh, European Parliament Internal Market and Civil Liberties Committees uh, will 
review it with a plenary vote provisionally scheduled for April this year. It's hoping that it will be enforceable, assuming it all goes ahead, in 2026. And I know that Germany's approved it, which made big headlines. They were one of the ones that everyone was uh, were looking towards as one of the big leader companies, co- companies countries in uh, in the EU. So, uh, yeah, it's taking the next step forward, really, through that process. I think if you want to have a look at what the text is going to largely contain, the version that we've got is is going to be it with very minor tweaks around the edges between now and its final publication. I'm glad you mentioned this story because you reminded me of something related to callback to Gemini Ultra. So bear with me, listener. We're going to get there. We have to go around the houses to get there. But Gemini Ultra is going to be baked into Google Assistant. So you and I won't say it because I've got two. I'm surrounded by far too many Google um, technologies. One of them is going to chirp up. But obviously you can um, speak to your tool by mentioning its name and then you'll get the assistant technology that at this point hasn't really improved much in the last five to ten years. But if you're in the US, you can switch your assistant to not being the standard Google assistant. You can switch it to being Gemini powered, which is interesting, right? We've been talking about where are all the bet the better LLM driven smart assistants? Where are they? Well they're here. But they're not here for Martin and I in the UK. And they're not available in the EU either. And Whilst we don't have a clear reason for that, the rumor is that Google has been paying attention to what's going on with this act before it takes too many big moves that it thinks could contravene aspects of the act in the EU. So whether that means we have to wait quite a long time for Gemini powered assistant or whether this is just a rumor that isn't really real, you did remind me of it. Martin when you talked about the story because I really really wanted to try out the new assistant and I just can't even with VPN I can't get I can't get it to switch which is a surprising move from Google's end given that we are no longer in the EU and the regulatory environment of the UK is more innovation friendly is certainly on the AI front, at least, what we're led to believe. Yeah. Well, as I said, it's just a rumor. Might not have any uh, ha- have any foundation. Whether or not there's belief in circles that the UK will lean into following whatever the EU puts in place. I mean, it's tempting to think that the world will lean into whatever the EU puts in place because the EU's done all the hard lifting of putting this all together. Um, and you could certainly imagine for a lot of countries it would be easier to fall in line with this than it would be to come up with your entirely own approach to doing these things. But um, interesting. Well, we should keep an eye on that as it moves its way through, but it sounds like it's going to pass a little changes. Right, Lum's couple of bits this week. They're less stories and more just a few discussion topics that I wanted to get Martin's thoughts on. So the first one, in we're going to go back to our friend Ethan Mollock again here. So probably six months ago, Ethan ran uh, an interesting experiment with, maybe more, maybe it was a year ago, but he ran an interesting experiment with AI tools as they were emerging to 
basically create a variety of content. And I think it was come up with some sort of product launch, maybe even a new website. And he was able to do all the work that he needed to do in about 30 minutes using AI tools, which would probably have taken human people like a week or two of time to just put everything together. So he recently decided to run a similar experiment again, and this time to show what he could do using these tools, but in just a minute, or as he says, in 59 seconds. So he undertook a range of tasks all at the same time. And if you can find this online, it's worth going and watching the screen capture video of his desktop because he's split it into five so you can see all of these things running at the same time. So firstly, he uses Microsoft Copilot to turn an AI-written Tesla business case file into a PowerPoint presentation. So it's a word to PowerPoint transition. He then uses Copilot and Microsoft to devise a detailed syllabus for a six-session intro to entrepreneurship class complete with table summaries, assignments, and a grading criteria. He used ChatGPT with a custom GPT made called Trend Analyzer to identify and showcase some on-trend designs for, I think it's for like clothing. He applied ChatGPT with his own product launch GPT to automate the launch process of a Wharton Interactive product at Wharton Business School. Um, and then he used Bing to um, draft a market research study on the VR and AI, uh, VR and AR device market in the style of a top consulting firm. And his biggest challenge in all of this process was that originally Bing said no, and he managed to convince it to do it. Typical there of large language models. But so find the video online if you can, because he does all these. He clicks in all the different windows and within a minute, he's got outputs from all of them and as he says in his blog post, where he summarizes what he did, the quality of the outputs was surprisingly high, um, which is an even a big improvement on the last experiment he ran um, because we've got these better models now. So it's quite an interesting one. And as much as this is a big leap forward, one thing he highlights in his blog, and this is what I want to get your take on, Martin, is up until now, a lot of knowledge work was about words writing reports, creating reports, writing emails, the fact that that takes time and was considered high value work. If you can now hit a series of buttons and get all of these tasks accomplished to a reasonable level in 59 seconds, where your job is then to go in and edit and increase the quality of those things, how does that change work? What, where's, how do we understand what is good work and what is bad work when AI is doing so much of the lifting like where's the human bringing the magic to this for lots of jobs that are based on time investment like agencies honestly a lot of agencies are based on a time model lawyers lots of things are based on how much shall I charge for this based on how long I think it would take my team to do we talk about this a lot but it was just so interesting to see all of that work done at a reasonable quality in 59 seconds what's your take on some of these questions Martin? well it makes me think of um somebody i was speaking to at the weekend they work for a large corporate big engineering company and they are not allowed to use llms at all they're all locked down and this person I was speaking to, an engineer, had this particular job which required him to, it was basically, he knew it was going to be his entire afternoon copying and pasting data from spreadsheet sources, like from here to here, here to here. And that was going to be an entire afternoon spent doing this 
part of his task so that he could then run some models and do some you know analysis and he's not allowed to use chat gpt but he went on his phone and did it on the side and said to chat gpt give me a vba script that will enable me to execute this thing and he said within 30 seconds he had the script and he implemented it and it did his four hours work in about a minute and the whole process start to finish was two or three minutes at the time it took him to write the prompt to copy and paste it email it to himself he says if i was just if we just had this as part of our workspace think about how much time that would have i mean it was already saving a huge amount of time but if everybody in the organization had this rather than being in an organization where they are scared to open this up for whatever reason i think there's data and compliance and ip related concerns all of the stuff that we've spoken about in the past um but that just made his job so much easier and the output that he was going to get to in in his particular instance still required some human intuition but that data prep piece literally copying and pasting was going to be done for him uh, in seconds to the wider point about about knowledge and more well, knowledge and time we've said this when gpt4 came out and we saw lawyers uh you know we could see that the the gpt4 could pass the bar exam with the score that is equivalent to top 10 percent of humans that sit it the thing that makes solicitors and uh, lawyers so highly respected is the time effort energy they've put into learning their subject matter and now everybody has an expert in their pocket that that can do it so it's going to diminish some of the value of that work it has to there's an app called um oh, what is it called robin robin.ai i don't know if you've seen this one and it's been built using claude from anthropic and it does contract analysis and the whole purpose of it is to analyze all of the, the clauses within a contract and then help you write the clauses that you want adding into the contract and help you basically negotiate better using AI. That's something that previously a lawyer would have charged you, I mean, what do, what do lawyers charge? Hundreds of pounds thousands of pounds per hour to sit and go through line by line checking over every clause now we've got ais that can do that explain every clause to you and it'll take i don't have the answer to the question of what does this mean for for work i just know that it is going to it's going to change what we perceive as the value of that kind of work but it's also going to make make us much more productive it's going to empower individuals in so many ways that we it's kind of hard to imagine really there's if everybody has access in their pocket to a legal advisor that is pretty pretty good right <laughs> really high level or a doctor or a tutor or a mentor it's going to change the way that we think about how we approach and how we value outputs and tasks within the workplace. Yeah, it's we've it's a bit of an Ethan Mollock episode, isn't it? Um, 
Ethan Mollick and his team released another paper um, where they studied consultants at Boston Consulting Group. It's a pretty robust study by the looks of things um, with large numbers of consultants split into two groups. One group had access to AI and the other group didn't. Um, one of the sort of findings, it's more of a hypothesis that came from the analysis, so was not robustly tested yet, was does access to AI make the smartest, most capable people better? Or does it take people who are newer in their careers or maybe lower skill levels and bring them up higher? So does it compress the average? And fundamentally, there's no reason why both those things can't be true, right? Um, But with AI still prone to hallucination, my feeling is AI can help do a lot of initial drafting type work if you're if you're in knowledge work and a lot of what you're doing is producing insights that end up in written form somebody who understands the topic deeply has to review those pieces to look for hallucinations but also just to make sure are we talking about the things that are important for this report right because even when you try and give ai a lot of context you can't give it all the things you know when you've done something for 20 years like and it doesn't have experience like humans have experience right so i'm drifting towards and this is a deep fear of mine really but i'm drifting towards could it gobble up intern and graduate roles where people coming into the workforce from university or by other mechanisms would usually get their training but now they don't get it because AI can do some of that entry-level work and at $20 a month, it's cheaper than hiring a grad, which sounds amazing, like commercially, like let's say you're the FD, you're like, well, yeah, okay, this is an obvious choice. Um, But sooner or later, we're going to run out of the experts to actually validate the outputs from the AI because we won't have trained any juniors because we'd have let AI be the juniors. Um, So we won't have people to validate the outputs anymore whilst also creating a bit of a socioeconomic meltdown by not giving kids um jobs in you know graduate positions so it's kind of interesting if i look at the way capitalism is incentivized or or incentivized businesses it's almost like don't choose the easy route today because you may pay for it tomorrow i guess the only bet would be if ai can accelerate fast enough as to not make that a problem but yeah i think when i look at it my worry is more for those entry-level graduates and, you know, I'm in my early 40s, I don't have any kids of myself, but I, I know a number of people who've got kids of that 15 to 20 years old and they're asking me what should they do. And it's, you know, I'd, I'd be worried if I had kids of that age, to be honest, because I think they're, they've had to put, deal with the pandemic first during their schooling. And now potentially... AI could come and gobble up some of those entry-level jobs that they need to kickstart their careers. Yes. Equally, because of how good LLMs can be at mentoring and teaching, I think there's also a case that that it can help people become experts quicker as well. So it could almost help them to become the experts that they need to, to review the, the documentation. Like where I was talking about the the Gemini advanced had this kind of mentorship role where it was telling me how to approach a project in a slightly different way or how to think about things in a slightly different way. If 
if we embrace and lean into the idea and the opportunity of AIs being personal mentors and assistants, I think we could actually start to get to a place where taking on junior members of staff that are well-versed in how to engage and interact and use an LLM could be less or less less risky or more, what's the word, deliver a better return on that hire quicker than it would do otherwise. Because if I was, at the moment, I don't take a, don't hire any staff. If I was taking someone on, that would be a big consideration for me. It's like, how how comfortable are you using ChatGPT? Because actually, I don't really, as long as you can figure that out and you're a bit of a tinkerer and you can ask the right questions and you've got the right mindset, you can you can GSD, right? Get shit done. And that I would I would be more prepared to take on somebody that was in a grad role with that mindset and with that toolkit than taking on someone that maybe had a little bit more experience but was a bit like reticent and not prepared to embrace ChatGPT. I think that's the critical piece. Ironically, I think that's always been the critical piece, honestly. And when I answer that question, I do answer something similar to what you've said, which is people who are curious problem solvers who make the best use of the tools around them will always succeed, especially against the old adage of, um, you know, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Right. Um, so I, I do think those people will still be successful. I um, when I was in the lab. Um, I hope my lab colleagues don't listen to this podcast. When I was in the lab, I used to wear a T-shirt that said just effing Google it on it because I used to get so many questions <laughs> where literally people would watch me Google it and then I would answer their question. And I'm like, dude, just Google it. Right. That's what I'm going to do. You can do it and you don't have to bother me. Um, it didn't happen that often, to be honest. I just thought the T-shirt was funny. But the I think that just chat GPT is the equivalent, right? So I would argue we've had the tools for those types of curious, self-starting problem solvers to excel. We've had them for best part of 15, 20 years, and this is just the latest version of them. Um, and I do think they're powerful, but I think they're prone to surfacing the wrong information like some like a um, someone using Google who's not sure how to like validate the outputs would be. And to add a little extra part to what you said, for me, one of the biggest challenges post-pandemic is training junior people because they're they're not learn. I, I can't. I don't know how to describe this adequately, so I'm just going to do my best. The juniors are learning more slowly, and if I and they're not adopting skills, and they they don't have the insights that they might have had pre-pandemic two, three, four, five years into their career journey. And if I had to guess why, I would say it's all those little conversations that you see happening in an office environment that you're learning from by osmosis, where people with more experience than you are having a conversation about something that's somewhat related to what you're doing that you're learning from. And I think they're massively missing out on those. And I still think LLMs are great at producing information, but I'm not sure they produce insight. Right. They don't have the hard earned experience of 
yeah, but if you do it in that way, in this particular context, it's going to go wrong because of this. And how do I know that? Because six years ago, I got burnt pretty badly when I messed that up. LLMs don't have any of that. So they can't transmit that. And that would be my fear. So I completely agree that a savvy, curious, problem-solving driven grad with an LLM is going to be very um, powerful than someone who doesn't have it. But I still just worry that that lack of insight is where the value is going to be lost and how to how to get that baked back into the system. Well, yeah, that's that's for GPT-5 to figure out. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, um, I was joking with a mate of mine about how awesome it would be if everyone could take a year off work, like literally everyone, find all the best people in the world in their domains and have them do the human reinforcement feedback on a model based on all of the deep experience that they have. Take the best surgeons, take the best artists, take the best politicians, take the best lawyers, marketers, business people, entrepreneurs, you name it, and have them do the reinforcement. Because then it's almost like humanity spends a year together training AI by having our very best and brightest be, be the trainers and the mentors for the AI. Because I think you'd end up with something quite cool and interesting after that. I have heard some AI scientists discussing this exact problem and the problem with reinforcement learning from human feedback being that you've got to have the right humans giving the feedback because there's no point having, you know, me or you giving feedback on responses about brain surgery. We are not the right people to be doing that. But equally, trying to get brain surgeons sitting there rating AI responses doesn't feel like um, a great use of their time, or at least feels like it would be quite an expensive process to go through to get hundreds of brain surgeons sat just short term responses. Yeah, yeah, be short term. Right. It's a, it's a... <laughs> so that's why we all need a year off. Yeah. Like, who do I speak to about this, Martin? You I must know have... someone's. How do we get a year off for everyone? At Sam A on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why he's getting the seven million uh, seven trillion, I should say. Seven trillion, he's, yeah. He's yeah. Currently trying to secure him funding for chip manufacture, fusion-based energy systems, and all the things that he feels he needs to create Skynet. Um, and maybe we just put all of that into getting all the experts that we need and paying for them to have a uh, six months off work so that they can train all these AIs to be ninjas. If your investment request doesn't start with a t then what's what's even the point right millions get out billions. i have got an idea for a bubble app that i do think would do really well with the trillion dollars of funding yeah <laughs> i'm going to spend a uh, hundred dollars less than a trillion all of that's going to be spent on paid advertising yeah. <laughs> and a hundred dollars will be spent on the trying to create the tool anyway Let's respect our, use, uh, our audience's time, Mike. We're going to move on. Last segment here is going to be, we're bringing back Tool of the Week. Are we bringing it back forever? Probably not. Are we bringing it back today? Yeah, because Martin's been playing with Claude for Sheets and he loves it and he wants to take us through it. Well, that about sums it up, to be honest. But to put more flesh on the bones, I have been playing with uh, Claude for Sheets. And this is a plugin or should i say add-on it's a google sheets add-on developed by anthropic themselves so it's a first party plugin which unlike 
ChatGPT and GPT for Sheets. Uh, well, th there isn't one for that. There is a GPT for Sheets, but it's third-party plugin. And you have to pay for the privilege now of using that. There's a, it was free for a year. And that's actually what made me check this one out because it's um, been available for a while. It's well-documented on the Anthropic website. And I thought I'd give it a go. It's dead easy to set up. All you need is your API key and you can then connect it to all of your sheets. When you use it, you just input equals Claude, open brackets, and then you write your prompt and use your various parameters. But as it's a spreadsheet, you can nest the, the prompt and the function inside other formulas. So you can have if this, then that. You can have if statements and run a prompt according to to different criteria or different conditions of, of your spreadsheet. There's actually three types of input. So you can have Claude, which is basically the user sends a message and gets a response. You've got one called Claude Free. And with Claude Free, what you're doing is you're having it more as a a conversation starter so you can actually have more control over the response that you get back from Claude so where Claude might have a bit of a habit of starting its response with a bit of preamble something like here is the summarization of the text that you have requested you don't want that so you can put that at the start of the the response from it so it doesn't give that or you can just well you can make it say anything that it wants at the start and then the cell populates with the rest of the response from the assistant. Right. Uh, and then there's a third setting, um, which I can't remember what it's called. It seems to do a similar thing. It's more for message-based back and forth. Right. Um, you have full control over the API settings. If you've used Claude, well, if you've used ChatGPT, you'll know that you only have the input of the text, right? You can't control settings like the temperature, which controls how creative or constrained ChatGPT is with its response. You can't control the token count, except by saying, do it in less than 400 words or something like that. You can put it into the prompt, but with Claude for Sheets, you can control the token length. You can control the temperature to make it more creative or more precise. Um, and you can also control, uh, what, what was the other setting? There's another setting as well, but it's, uh, it, it escapes me now. But it's super easy to use. If you're familiar with spreadsheets and you're quite comfortable using Excel or Google Sheets, check it out. Within 15 minutes of playing around with it, you'll see huge value, uh, particularly if you work in SEO, if you work in e-commerce. In fact, I had been playing with this and then did a workshop last week, getting started with ChatGPT. At the end of the session, I spoke about integrations and tools, and I mentioned this particular plugin. Yes, I know it's not ChatGPT, it's Claude, but people were interested. <laughs> and one of the people that was on this session, he's uh, he's got an e-commerce store, hundreds of products, and he's moving from one platform to another. So he's changing his content management system and e-commerce platform. As such, he needs to reformat all of his product descriptions to, to match the new template that he's using. 
And he said, it's hundreds of them. And he's kind of dreading it. I said, well, have you got them all on a, on a spreadsheet? He said, yeah, yeah, I've, I've exported all of that, but now I've got to sit down and just, just do it all. And I showed him the plugin and how it could work. And we, we estimate then that with, well, maybe like 10, 15 minutes finding the right prompt and playing around with the right prompt. But once he's got that, completing the task, less than a minute. And then he just needs to upload the file to his products. A massive game changer. Yeah, and we've talked about some of these plugins before. I mean, one of the pains of the GPT-4-based plugin is it hangs all the time, right? Because it's, I think it's the 30-second timeout. So we always got fed up of using it because it hangs. What's the Claude timeout like? Uh, so the limitation, that 30-second that timeout that you're referring to is a Google Sheets yeah. restriction. So anytime it makes an external call to an external API, if it doesn't get the response back in 30 seconds, it just errors. Um, so Claude has a setting within it, or Claude for Sheets has a setting within it, to rerun any errors. And it will just rerun those cells. Um, it also has one uh, a state called deferred. So sometimes, let's say you've got 100 cells that want to be updated, because of the API limit, it will restrict that and it will put some of them in a queue or it will put some of them as deferred so you can rerun it there. I have, having played extensively with GPT-4 through the GPT for Sheets plugin and the Claude for Sheets plugin, I can say that the response time from Claude is far and away quicker than GPT-4 and Oh, that's the other parameter that you can change in the formula. You can change the model, of course. So you can choose Claude 2.1, which is their most um, powerful and capable model, or you can choose the quicker Claude 1 Turbo, which is very quick, but obviously not as powerful and as capable as Claude 2.1. Mm. Even Claude 2.1, where I've had some quite long inputs with quite detailed outputs i've still found that the error messages are not an issue whereas i've got a project that i'm actively working on at the moment and i've had to switch off gpt4 with gpt for sheets because it errors on at least 20 percent of them and it's just not you know not you can't do it right yeah it's not usable yeah that was a, that was the reason for the question because that was a pain and we've talked about use cases of this in terms of um, setting up customized prospecting emails at scale for hundreds, if not thousands of prospects where you're able to find a way to get ChatGPT to customize writing the outbound email and a bunch of other stuff. And um, I think because Claude 2.1's writing outputs are pretty high quality, maybe not quite GPT-4, but not far off, I can see why that would be attractive. And if it doesn't hang all the time, which basically was making the GPT plugin for Sheets unusable, let's be honest. Um, but it sounds like a, a big step. Do you Are you paying for the API to access this? And how much does it cost to do these types of things? So at the moment, you only start paying for API usage when you upgrade to a production ready. So anybody can sign up to Claude API with Anthropic and get a free account. And you get 2,000, was it? No, was it? two million or two and a half million tokens per day or something before you have to start even looking at 
a free version. Sorry, so if you're using it plan. for yourself in these types of experiments or even for internal processes, you're probably just going to be able to operate for free. Correct. Yeah, certainly for the time being. Interesting. It's time for me to go installing this again and see if I can get some of the cool stuff I've been trying to get done over the last 12 months with some of these plugins working because I gave up because they were hanging all the time. And But if that's... I would say one prompt tip. Um, oh, there is actually a guide from Claude and Anthropic about prompt engineering specifically for Sheets and they've got a Ooh. whole Google Sheets workbook with exercises that you can work through and do it. But um, just on the quality output piece... If you are looking for those GPT-4 level outputs, assuming that the output you're after isn't a thousand words long, if it's, you know, hundred words or so, maybe it's a summary of text, take a GPT-4 summary or take a few summaries and give that as a, give that as part of the prompt. And Claude 2 is then getting few shot prompt trained. Right on GPT-4 quality outputs, and it does a very good job of matching that thereafter. So if you add it in your prompt, you're basically saying this is what good looks like. Apply this to your outputs. Mm. Interesting. Well, there we have it. Tool of the week made a comeback. Um, if you are trying to figure out some next level automated uses of ChatGPT and Claude and other large language models until agents make their appearance, hey, next week, next month who knows um then these things are good to play with um mine it's always a pleasure hanging out with you thanks for your time today it was a good conversation yeah looking forward to uh, to the next take it easy buddy speak soon thank you for listening to artificially intelligent marketing to stay on top of the latest trends tips and tools in the world of marketing ai be sure to subscribe we look forward to seeing you again next week